0: thanks, everyone for joining us this evening. It's just you and me tonight, Adam.
1: Ah, the dynamic duo
0: <laughs> Well, it's been a uh, record uh, weekend for Halloween. So I think it's the second largest opening in October history, 77 mm-hmm. million, and you know, the biggest opening in Halloween franchise history.
1: Yeah. Which is good,
0: because when I saw The Grossest to the Nun, I was like, oh, God, I hope like Halloween does comparable numbers to the nun. Oh, yeah. Like, like Sister Act is a horror movie. Like,
1: what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I'm glad, too. I, I really am. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. I, I don't think I was quite as crazy about it as you were, but there's things I like about it. Um, for sure, what do you and, like about um, it um i I really like the first half of it i I like the you know where we 're getting reintroduced to laurie and and the relationships with her daughter and the estrangement and all that stuff with daughter and granddaughter and how she 's scarred emotionally by everything that 's happened all those years ago and I, I thought there was a lot of good character stuff in the first half of it unfortunately, my big problem with it was that I felt like they just went into this the gross out mode which is to me a little lazy when you just go for you know there's that scene where he stomps ahead like a grape and all that stuff and that, when you get into that to me it's no different than those countless remakes and, and clones that and sequels that we used to get in the early 80s it just it really kind of cheapened it for me when they got into that but you know it holds up for a large portion of it's running time there's it was a great performance, you know that Jamie Lee Curtis. he's terrific, of course, and and uh, you know there's a little message of female empowerment that's undercurrent that runs throughout the movie, and I like all that, and and so I, I think it's skillfully directed. I think there's some uh, really suspenseful scenes, and uh, you know I, I I do think that that there. Is some good things there, but I just I felt like they took the cheap route out before it was all said and done, and was a little let down by that. But, you know, I'm, I, I, far be it from me to say it's bad. I didn't dislike it for sure. And um, so, anyway, I'll be interested to hear your take on it.
0: Well, doesn't everything that you just said about it uh, make it the, like the Citizen Kane of the past eight movies in the franchise? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, comparatively, I thought it was uh, really smashingly uh, effective for the most part. There's things mm-hmm. that I don't like. The things that I don't like in it is I don't like how they seem so desperate to show as much of Michael's face as possible without showing the whole thing in focus yeah. full on. Because yeah, right. I, I don't want to know that Michael has a gray beard. I, I want him. That makes <laughs> him seem mortal. I, I want him to be the shadow. I want him to, you know, uh, I want him to be mythical. I don't want to know yeah. that he's got wrinkles and all that shit. I'd like that it actually feels like it takes place during Halloween. Not only fall, but Halloween. I mean, mm-hmm. there are real trick-or-treaters out there on the block and everything, uh, which uh, a lot of the Halloween franchise movies just don't really engage much in, surprisingly. Yeah, you know, creating that's, that that's true. Atmosphere. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was a wonderful sequence where it's edited to look like an unbroken shot where he's going in various houses and and smashing away. Um, And I love, I love Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And especially there's a scene that she has um, at a restaurant table where she's meeting her family and she's just, uh, she just can't deal with it. Uh, You know, you really kind of feel her uh, Mm -hmm. and it's not a subversive message like a lot of horror movies do to their credit of kind of the me too connections here, but it's, um, but it's not preachy and it's not too precious either. It feels organic to the material Mm -hmm. journey. Um, So they're not congratulating themselves on making a movie that has political implications because I, I don't, I think they play that naturally. Uh, the music's great. I thought I thought a lot of the humor was great. I thought the references to the previous films, especially the He Looks Down and She's Gone yes. reference, nice. was very nice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and most of all, I like the people in it. And I like the characters in it. Even like the, the side characters. And they weren't afraid to kill them off. I mean, they kill off yeah. a little boy. <laughs> you know, I hate to give – maybe I'll cut that part out. But, you know, uh, at the same time, they they kill off a lot of people that you, you grow a, sort of an affection for. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: the psychiatrist character was unnecessary, and the third act twist that they gave him was unnecessary as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but I did like the premise of her being stuck in the back of that car, unable to get out. So, uh, you know, I was fine with it i it's like a it's like a a b for me,
1: yeah, I mean, I gave it a b minus two stars and a half is what I gave it, so I think we're close, I think we're very close um, I mean I mean, you have people you have the haters
0: out there, oh God, it was awful, it's like as opposed to what the past the past ten movies of the franchise like what, <laughs> what are you comparing it to?
1: You're right. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing for me was anything after Halloween Two. I think we might have gotten into this before, but anything after Halloween Two just made no sense to me at all because, you know, they shot his eyes out at the end of Halloween Two. So theoretically, right. if he, you know, if he's going around killing, he's got to have a C and I dog. And then, you know, in Four, they ask us to actually <laughs> believe that that Laurie Laurie is dead and that Doctor Loomis is alive. Well, we saw Doctor Loomis get blown to bits. And Laurie survived, so they're, they're right there. Yeah. They're you know the the whole thing is just thrown into out of whack for me. I mean, I saw it when it came out, but I thought this the crazy. plausibility
0: thing the plausibility standards that you can't really apply to this kind of stuff.
1: This is true.
0: So, <laughs> uh, I I you know I didn't think it was plausible that they were like this. The safest place you can go is to Jamie Lee Curtis's house to her family. <laughs> yeah. When when the yeah. sheriff doesn't know that she's got all these traps and stuff. And yeah. that's the first place that Michael's going to be going. Of course. Um, <clears throat> so it seems well, we wh- foolhardy.
1: I thought it was a little implausible the fact that they're transporting him just coincidentally on the 40th anniversary of the original murders. <laughs> that's, right. That's a little tough right. to swallow, too. But, okay. But anyway, and, and
0: evil And evil incarnate is being transferred with people that I think they ran through some of the charges against the other people, and they weren't really <laughs> that bad.
1: <laughs> right, but, right. Um uh,
0: uh, and over. you know, it takes a swipe. it takes a swipe at podcasters too, which was fine.
1: I know, yeah, it sure did, yeah. <laughs> sure did, yeah. That's took,
0: fine. A... I feel I yeah. feel the same way about them sometimes. But uh <laughs> you know, I rewatched three and yeah. uh it's one of the great uh whacked out movies ever. Like it whatever is. that pl- whatever that plot is to, to, they're, they're using Stonehenge to do yeah. – you know. I don't even know, but that, that evil character has this big monologue where he breaks down his plot, and I'm like, you're kidding me. Like where, what kind of drugs do these people do when they're writing the script? It's like amazing, amazingly wacky, and they greenlit that. But At the
1: same time, yeah.
0: I mean, I, th- that's the only reason to really find much enjoyment out of it. <laughs>
1: Well, I always thought it had a nice atmosphere of dread that they managed to conjure up. I, I enjoyed that. You know, it's a little creepy and unnerving at the beginning of it, you know, before you really get into the nuts and bolts of it like you're yeah. talking about. And uh and it's a great score. Oh my god, I love that score. Yeah. Carpenter's score is, is terrific and um I I think you and I've talked about this off the air before, but on the uh Blu ray there's a terrific uh they have that horror's hallowed grounds thing and the director of the movie, Tommy Lee Wallace, he uh, he recreates the make-out scene between uh, Tom Atkins and Stacey Nelkin that takes place. <laughs> he recreates that with uh, the guy doing the documentary on the horror ballad oh, wow. grounds where they revisit the, uh, the, the filming locations. They actually found the old hotel room where they shot it, and they recreated that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's terrific. It's so funny. I know where the, I know
0: where the hotel is. Yeah. Uh... So they actually shot inside those little hotel rooms, too. They did.
1: They sure did. Yeah, that was surprisingly. But, yeah, and there's so many nods to the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers in that one, too. Because even the town is Santa to Myra, which is the town from the '56 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know. So there's just all kinds of nods to that movie. And there's, you know, and there's kind yeah. of, you know, the whole thing about the robots replacing people. And there's a lot of... You can tell they were big fans mm. of Invasion of Body Snatchers. So.
0: Well, this new one, I did enjoy the throwbacks. Um, and and uh, a lot of them are very subtle. When they go mm-hmm. to the cemetery to see Judith Myers' headstone, um, I was looking out for it because they shot this one in North Carolina, or South Carolina. Yep. And they shot the uh, original in Pasadena for the most mm-hmm. part. So I was looking for familiar gravestones, so... When they go to Judith Meyer's headstone in this new one, there's the tombstone for that has Sinclair written on it behind them, just like in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, they paid attention to that. And then there's, I guess, there's speaking of Halloween 3, there are kids wearing the Halloween 3 masks that are trick-or-treating.
1: Yes, like, about.
0: true true. Um, and they even have, I think, a throwback to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I guarantee you that he in the scene where the granddaughter is running through the woods at night and reaches her house and trips and falls. And she's surrounded by those mannequins that Jamie Lee Curtis does target practicing on. Mm -hmm. And she starts screaming and the cameras panning in and out of those mannequins and her screams. And then it cuts really quick to, to the moon uh, Mm -hmm. as the music crescendos. I mean, that reminded me exactly of the dinner table scene in chainsaw like that, that the whole, um, Atmosphere, a frenzy, uh, mm-hmm. and finally ending with a shot of the moon. Um, yeah. So there, you know, I, I was shocked that, that that the new Halloween came out of David Gordon Green, who, who I, you know, I like him fine. Uh, I met him; uh, he was a very nice guy. Curious. Sure his movies have, for the most part, the tone of of that he does, which is very laid back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for him to have made something so kind of relentless, ultimately, uh, I was very surprised by that from him.
1: Yeah, I'm, I met him too. I, when I covered the Atlanta Film Festival years ago, he, we had a brunch with him, and he uh, just—he's so unassuming, just a laid-back guy, like you said. And mm-hmm. um, I was—I was fascinated by how he could, in the same calendar year, do these huge, these really dark dramas. For anybody out there listening who doesn't know some of his movies from the early 2000s. He did some really good stuff, like All the Real Girls and Snow Angels with Kate Beckinsale. It was one of her best performances, I think. I love both of yeah. those. And just really powerful stuff. And and then the same year as Snow Angels, I believe he did Pineapple Express. And I said, wow, how do you switch gears like that? Right. <laughs> he said, it's the only way I can work. He said, you know, it's so such a dark atmosphere that I'm immersed in with these movies, you know, cause they're these dark dramas. He said, the only way I know to, to get my mind in a, in a different place and move forward is to just take on some goofy comedy and, and do, you know, yeah. So, uh, so did we, so go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say?
0: Did you see the Hervé villaches movie last night?
1: That's exactly what I was going to ask you. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, <laughs> we were reading each other's minds. Uh, no, I, I was going to take it in tonight. I didn't get a chance last night. Uh, did you get to see it?
0: I got to tell you, uh, it's a very it's a very standard kind of movie where the journalist follows the subject for a night and
1: mm. lives
0: change and that kind of thing. Um, oh. But I mean, it's helped out by the fact that it's true.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Sausage uh, uh, Gervais was a. Journalist and he was given this puff piece with Hervé, and uh, he dreaded it. And mm-hmm. he ended up spending three nights with him. And during the course of that journey, he really felt changed in, in, in a profound way. And he promised to see his see his story through and and you know share what he learned in those three days from Hervé.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so it is it is true. I mean, you could you could manufacture it and change it around and it it wouldn't come from what really occurred so i mean i could appreciate the structure of it uh even though it feels like something we've seen before what i really liked was his performance is great uh peter Dinklage, he's great in it um and uh i loved learning about hervey uh I, I i was really absorbed with the recreations of the high points of his life. And everybody's – uh, people are in the movie that I did not expect, like um, uh, Roger Moore is portrayed in the movie. Ooh, nice. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of people that pop up. like And Andy Garcia like looks exactly like Ricardo Montalban. There's some shots in that movie where you're like, holy shit. <laughs> it feels <laughs> a little eerie. He makes no uh, – effort at uh, sounding like him, but uh, uh, but he's only in it for just a very short period of time. Um, I, they- I was actually really, really moved by it because it's, uh, yeah. it, during the course of the movie, uh, Hervé, um, it's kind of brought to his attention, not that he doesn't already know it, but he's kind of buried it Within himself, that he is the architect of destruction. Um, I mean, obviously, he had health problems. He wasn't going to live much longer, anyway, before he killed himself. But he achieved great heights. There, no pun intended. And uh, <laughs> he he was the one that uh, kind of wrecked it for himself. Yeah. Um, so and uh, uh, there's a great poignancy in that, and the way that plays out. So overall it's I highly recommend it. I was uh I did not expect to be that moved by it.
1: Hmm. No, I can't wait to see it. I, I I really really wanted to last night but I just didn't get into it. I uh, didn't get to it. I uh, just had a little family minor family emergency here that I had to take care of and uh, just prevented me from catching it. So I'm I'm a day late, but yeah, did they recreate the uh, the iconic uh thing from Fantasy Island? they the plane? Yes, plane the plane that...
0: <laughs> they, they did, and and they did it very well. Uh, oh, it's,
1: okay. It's
0: got top shelf people on it. Uh, yeah. Maurice Alberti was the cinematographer. Uh, Carol Littleton was the editor. I mean, it's oh, got yeah. like top shelf people involved. That's in it. That's good.
1: And there's now, some funny,
0: and it's it's very humorous too. I mean, seeing seeing Peter Dinklage riding a horse, shooting a gun is is you know is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. I mean, the, the, the movie doesn't forget about the humor. David Straith Aaron is in it. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 um, Aaron Spelling is portrayed. Uh, Billy Barty is portrayed. There and there's a fight. You know, Billy Barty and Harvey getting a fist fight, which is very funny too. Ooh, uh, wow. it's, it's got a lot. It's got a lot going for it. Actually, I really enjoy
1: it. Something tells me this is going to be a, a subject of discussion on Gilbert's podcast pretty soon. <laughs>
0: In many ways, it's a typical HBO biopic. But mm-hmm. um, but I was just sh- drawn by his story.
1: Yeah, they, they do – I'm so glad, though, that HBO will – champion those kind of movies and finance them and put them out there. Because a lot of times it's things that, you know, would never get a theatrical release and they'll get behind stuff like that. Yeah. They've, I was thinking about some of the ones they've done. You know, they did the uh, the Peter Sellers one with Jeffrey Rush, which was really good. And and they did uh, the Hitchcock one, you know, a couple of years ago, The Girl, which, hey, you know, whether it's true or not is disputable, I guess. But I enjoyed it for what it was. They bought. They yeah. bought
0: that from the BBC or somebody else produced it and they bought it or oh. something. Okay.
1: Uh,
0: but Someone's they You know, Pacino's Phil Spector, Pacino's Jack and yes. De Niro's. Um, who are that guy? Is the swindler? Madoff. Yeah, Madoff.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so they they specialize in the biopics. Uh, you know, but, but they've also done incredibly brave stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, no one else was – no other studio was willing to put up the money for Angels in America. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Liberace. The, the I should have been about done.
1: that.
0: <laughs> Liberace probably those stans, stands as the best of all of them,
1: I yeah. think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because nobody would have taken a chance on that movie. Yeah,
0: they and they think. tried. Yeah, they did. With Mm Soderbergh, with Matt Damon, and with Michael Douglas, they couldn't get financing from a studio for it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I knew they were trying. They were trying for years, too, from what I understand. But, yeah, well, you know, as the old adage goes, God bless them. I'm glad they're doing it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, they're talking about the Irishman and. Um, De Niro was interviewed, and he said, "Look, we—it's got to have a theatrical release. Like, we're not going to not accept a theatrical release." Oh, um,
1: that's good.
0: It's got to have one. I, I mean, I'm sure that, and I'm sure that Amazon wants, or I'm sorry, Netflix wants one too. Yeah. But the question is, is it a day and date, or is it theatrical? we Will be a little bit ahead of mm-hmm. than posting another streaming. I don't yeah. know.
1: Yeah. It's going to be interesting too because they've got two high-profile releases for serious things that serious fans of cinema are looking forward to on the same day, which is November 2nd. They have Roma and uh the Alphonse Cuarón and then they have The Other Side of the Wind, which I think we're 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 all salivating to see. And, you know, those yeah. are going to get the even, even even
0: more so. I'm, sal- I'm salivating to see the documentary on it.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But everybody's saying Roma. I was just hearing this weekend. It's the kind of movie that needs to be appreciated on the big screen. That you you're going to lose something if you watch it at home on television or whatever, or whatever your device is. That that it's really a big screen experience. You know, and it's very immersive, and it gains a lot by seeing it that way. And so, but and they are going to roll it out in theaters, but it's going to be very limited. And so. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that it's going to be uh, a case where they're releasing it on Netflix the same day that it's in theaters, I believe. I could be wrong. but
0: It's obviously – Roma is like obviously an Oscar contender, so you need a theatrical uh, just for Academy Awards consideration. But mm-hmm. it isn't it isn't an event like a Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Keitel movie.
1: <laughs> well, yeah,
0: So this is true. Uh, you, I mean, you really... And I think that's why they brought in... Uh, they hired a special uh, executive. I forget who it is or what her title is, but her job is to figure out the the platform for these high, higher-profile projects that they've produced, uh, mm-hmm. especially the Irishman. Uh, and, you know, that's why they've been thinking about buying up a feeder chain on their own and releasing it that way. Um, so, uh you know, and uh, it's all centered around the Irishman. Like, what do we do with this movie to make the most of it? Not only for Oscars, but because you know this could be a big audience movie. But it's yeah. also I I don't I don't know how long the damn thing is. Three hundred scenes. I don't know <laughs> what the mm-hmm. running time. I mean, he's made he's made movies that have run three three fifteen.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: maybe ca- ca- Casino is maybe around three three o five or something.
1: Yeah, I think we'll Wall Street's a little bit longer I believe. I believe. Okay, I believe it's
0: not so like... not unheard of, but uh... No.
1: No, yeah, he's, he he goes wherever the film takes him. Lengthwise, if if it's enough, you know, if he feels like that's where it's got to go, then he takes it there. And uh, you know, so uh yeah, that that could be uh so I saw a movie that I really want to champion. Uh, I don't know how many people are going to go out and see it. I hope a lot, but I have fears that it won't get the reception that it deserves. But the hate you give is really 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 one a, a terrific piece of filmmaking. That's um mm. the one uh, directed by George Tillman Jr., the guy who made Soul Food and all that and it's based on this young adult novel and that is uh, there was a big. It was a big um, uh, bestseller, I think, when it came out, and they've been trying to to get it off the ground for a little while, and they had some difficulties. Apparently, they shot the entire movie, and then the male lead, I th- I think it was the male lead, he uh, made some derogatory comments on YouTube that got into the press, and after they would shot the film, it was done and finished. So they had to reshoot everything with this that this guy was in, every scene that he was in. So it was one of those deals, like like the Christopher Plummer thing. So yeah, they they had to go right back to the drawing board, and I don't know how much time it took, but yeah, it was it was done and finished. But they said they just couldn't they couldn't uh, they weren't going to be comfortable with leaving that him in his performance in so they had to recast and all that but what a great movie this is definitely going to go in my top 10 of the year it's just so powerful and so moving it's about this uh this african-american girl who's living in the projects basically just well not really in the projects but just basically in a economically depressed area is is a better way to put it and her father's an ex-gang member who's trying to you know take care of his family he runs a He's bought a convenience store, but refuses to move out of their neighborhood in spite of all the drug activity and the gang activity. And uh, she go—they send her to a prep school, though, which is totally in contrast with what she, um, you know, the area she lives in—the economically depressed area that that she lives in. And so she has to be one person during the day, and then another person when she's at, at home. You know, she has to be careful not to use any slang when, and, and keep her during the daytime and keep this persona going. And then her worlds become blurred when her childhood best friend, who was dealing drugs because that was the only job that he could get in this this place where they live, this area where they live. And his his grandmother had cancer, and she was fired from her job because she was sick, and his mom was a was addicted to drugs, and so the only way he could make a living was to have to sell the drugs and so uh he basically she is witness to his murder at the hands of a white police officer, and it becomes a moral dilemma for her because should she she's having to decide whether she wants to uh, testify on behalf of of the boy and what she saw, her friend. Or you know, just be quiet and not say anything and not uproot her life because she knows it's going to be a media circus and her life is never going to be the same again. So, uh, but wow, just what a what a fantastic movie! I just can't champion it enough. Uh, just I, I hope people will see it. It's just it packs such an emotional wallop for me. I just I there were several times when tears just. Uh, I didn't even know that I had tears in my eyes, and then I felt them trickling down my cheek. <laughs> Several instances, it was—you know—I didn't even re- aware. I wasn't even aware it was—it was happening, and it, and it was. <laughs> so I was moved wow. uh, deeply, deeply, in quite a few places. And it, it's uh, about two hours and ten minutes, but it doesn't feel long at all. I mean, there's enough story there that the, the movie just feels like the perfect length, and just. I don't know. It just hits every the, the 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 girl who's the lead. I can't remember her name, but she's a newcomer and she's just fantastic. And you know all the supporting roles in the movie are are are, are great. And it's just I don't know. I, I just can't recommend it enough. It's uh, I'm afraid it's going to get lost and that people aren't going to be talking about it at the end of the year. But oh, just so good, so powerful, so moving, and so topical about what's going on. You know, yeah. in in this uh, the era we live in, and it's just um, I don't know if if you want some intelligent, thought-provoking cinema that that explores things that are going on in our world today, I I would recommend people get out there and try to see The Hate You Give, if possible, because it's it's worth your time in more ways than one. So there you go. <laughs>
0: well, good. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'll have to
0: check it out.
1: Yes, it's good. I don't mm. think you'll be disappointed at all. But uh, anyway. I went back and rewatched some, some interesting things over the past seven days. I, I rewatched U Turn, the Oliver Stone movie, which I had had sitting mm. around here on Blu-ray for quite a while, and that's fun, right? <laughs> I think anyone, <laughs> anyone, right? Anybody, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, in a dark right, way. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it was at that end of the run, but the you know the Oliver Stone Robert Richardson that was their final collaboration, and uh, you know he's so they were such a good collaboration those two had, and yeah. that movie just kind of reminds you, and of course the editing is is great in that just like it is, in all those movies he made during that period, you know from Platoon, I think that's probably the last one of that golden Oliver Stone period, I think. And it, uh, you know, they're were, they were reaching the end, and everything has to end. We know that, but um,
0: it's a great, yeah, it's a great score. It's a great Morricone score. It's oh just
1: yeah, it off sure it
0: is.
1: Um, it really is,
0: and it really l- looks great. great. It feels hot. The cinematography is just yeah amazing in it.
1: Yeah, and and it's. I was a, I had totally forgotten how many. Oh, that cast is incredible, right? I, so many people that turn up in that movie it's, yeah. uh you know john voight and uh you got i mean the minor performers are john voight and joaquin phoenix and Claire danes and uh and then you got the, the people with bigger roles like powers booth and nick nolte and of course yeah. billy bob thornton is the mechanic which he's terrific <laughs> and of course john ben it's a, it's a
0: it is a fun movie and and it's uh i don't begrudge the fact that he did that movie, but uh, it does feel like such an awful lot of talent and effort going towards a story that's not deserving of it.
1: Well, yeah, that is true. When you think about if you'd taken that talent and put it into something with a little, little more um, substance, shall we say? <laughs>
0: yeah, and, it, and it's not better than uh, Red Rock West, which is no, a very no. similar similar movie, but a lot more modest in its approach. Yeah, a lot more and a lot
1: shorter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I much prefer that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. That's that's a good point. And uh so yeah, well speaking I,
0: of which, okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So, sure. uh producer for masterclass like um uh, contacted me last week. And uh you know, masterclass has done, you know, Masterclasses with Scorsese and Yeah. Kevin Spacey, I'm sure they want to forget about that one. And, uh, you know, <laughs> p- various people in the in film. And uh, the senior producer's name was Amy Scott. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as soon as I saw it, I was like, is that the same Amy Scott that just directed this Hal Ashby movie? And so I looked it up, and yes, she was. Mm-hmm. So um, she works for Masterclass. And uh, she said, uh, we're about to do a Masterclass with Robert Richardson. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And uh, we we want to, some ideas on what you would want to know from him in a master class. So she said, I found your site and your interview that you did with him, and I'd love to brainstorm with you. And uh, so we talked and um, talked for like a half hour or so, and it was a great uh, conversation. And, and she was like, oh, wow, yeah, that would be a great thing to talk to him about. And, and she said she talked to a lot of DPs. And the and the DPs were all like, you know, the lens that you use and this and this. I want to know about the lenses and all this kind of stuff. And I told her, I can guarantee you that, yes, you'll be talking, you'll have a segment at least where you talk about the technical, but that will not be the thing that Robert Richardson's most excited to talk about. Uh, he he will want to talk about, as well as any cinematographer worth a salt, will want to talk about, storytelling. We'll want to talk about collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because you you have to be a chameleon of sorts when you're a DP as well, because you're fulfilling the director's vision. And so where does the personal cr- creative expression come fr- from when you're fulfilling someone else's vision? Uh, you'll want to talk to him about that. You'll want to talk to him about, um, uh, the ego of a cinematographer and wanting to make pretty pictures, but the danger of that uh, interfering with actual uh, moving the story, like serving the story. Cause cinematography for great cinematographers is not about pretty pictures. It's about advancing the story. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the different kind of, and uh, we went on and on and uh, I said, you know, lenses and all that crap. I mean, I know you probably got to talk about it, but, that's that's not what's going to turn him on. And, uh, and, you know, he's so, I guess, like, right after he finishes Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which will be next month, he's going to do the master class thing, which is great. I said you could not choose a better – if you're doing one on cinematography, there's nobody alive that you could choose as a better candidate than him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's one of the best. And when you go back and look at some of the things he did, you know, it's uh, it still blows me away. You know, the regular
0: collaborations, on... I mean, he, start, he started as a war photographer, and then you look at the people that he regularly worked with, uh, from Oliver Stone to Tarantino to Scorsese to Errol Morris and lots of frequent people that he's worked with. He found a new way to shoot the documentary interview subject with Errol Morris, uh, so you could talk about redefining, like uh, finding new ways to uh, express things. Um, you know, the, uh, obviously he has a he has a he has a signature that harsh overhead light that he uses
1: mm-hmm. in yeah. all of his
0: movies. They, they, she was like, "What would you? What kind of scenes would you show?" I said, "Well, I think I don't know what." the deal is with Masterclass and what rights you can get, but I would think he would want to show scenes that inspired him from other movies. Uh, so you might throw that in, but from his own movies, I would uh, show, um, uh, definitely JFK, like pick a scene, probably the opening, pick a scene that, that displays the different film stocks that he used and what each one was meant to express. Um, you know, casino, anything with Sharon Stone in that gold dress. Maybe you could talk about uh, lighting for costume, or you know, your collaboration with a costume designer and your environment, sets, and that sort of thing. So I, yeah. I gave her a lot of
1: ideas. That's good. I'm glad they reached out to you because yeah, you you did a great job with that interview. I loved it. I loved it. I learned a lot. It's very informative. Maybe
0: maybe it'll help us too to get him back on the show when Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out. I'll be like, tell tell me everything about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I want to know too. Yeah, he's 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 uh yeah. He you can you can just his enthusiasm for it just he uses with it when he talks about it. You know.
0: And that's another thing. I mean, some and I said, and you know this better than anyone. To um, I said to Amy Scott. I said because you and we talked about Hal Ashby too. I said because you just made the movie on Hal Ashby. I, I, Robert Richardson, Richardson lives for his art. I mean, it consumes him, mm-hmm. and which is one of the big reasons why Oliver Stone doesn't work with him anymore. Because Oliver Stone's out of place, and you could tell by his movies nowadays that uh, his movies no longer consume him.
1: He no. doesn't have
0: that the, the same passion or energy. Robert Richardson does. Um, yes, and, and so and this is something that's rarely asked of men. Like, uh, what does that do to your life? <laughs> you know, yeah, to the life.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, he, yeah, you're exactly right about Oliver Stone because you, you just feel like the fire went out of his belly. And uh, big time. Yeah, and Richardson really told did. me
0: that. He he said that they met because he wanted to do Wall Street too. He said, "Look, I did this first one." Like, do the second one. And, and all of a sudden was like, uh, met with him and said, look, this isn't the kind of film that we made. I mean, wow. well, I'm not doing those anymore. Mm. Um, That's so sad. I, I, and I think it was it was just their relationship. I mean, they they pushed it as far as they possibly could. If you think about Natural Born Killers and,
1: and oh, even yeah.
0: veering some, someone into U-Turn, I mean, Richardson wanted to keep pushing, pushing, and experimenting, and Oliver Stone Mm -hmm. was like, "Uh, I've gone as far as I want to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So they just kind of – they just outgrew each other. I mean they matured beyond one another, I think.
1: I think you're right. That's a a good way of looking at it. And yeah, I mean even Nixon, which came after Natural Born Killers, I mean that movie has so many – it's a lot like JFK. It has so many film stocks and different, you know, yeah, aspect ratios, and it's just, uh, it's it's a technical. I don't think that movie gets enough credit for the 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 technical. It's a technical. It's a, it's a marvel and technical ach- achievement to me. Uh, some of the the things that that are in there because I you know Nixon right. I I think I was you know my initial reaction with Nixon was I saw it in a theater and I was expecting something. Like JFK, you know, and and there's only one JFK, and it was definitely a different movie from JFK. And I, I was a little let down when mm-hmm. I saw it, you know. And then when it came out on video and I saw it at home, I thought, my God, I don't know what I missed. This is terrific. This <laughs> is absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great tragic drama. Uh, it yeah, it, it is, is, it is in no way as relentless as JFK.
1: No, I mean JFK
0: no. is 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 very feverish. Yeah, uh, because it's about. Uh, I mean, there's an urgency to it to find yeah, out the yeah. truth. We we know who <clears throat> Nixon was, and we know his downfall, and um, and Oliver Stone views it as a great Shakespearean tragedy. So the the tone of the movie is a lot more classical
1: than Nixon. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and it's, it's a totally different beast, so to speak. and, and once I got acclimated to that. You know, seeing it a second time, then I saw it for what it really was. And I was like, okay, this is as good as I had hoped it would be. I just didn't catch it the first time. (laughs) But yeah. It's such a
0: great, great performance from Anthony Hopkins. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Because even when he approached Anthony Hopkins to play Richard Nixon, he was like, I can't play Richard Nixon. Like, why would you think that I could play Richard Nixon? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: And. He said, "Well, because you're a great actor, you could do anything." It, I guess you know, puffed him up so much, and he wanted to work with Oliver Stone that he accepted. <laughs> but he had no idea. He was like, "I can't <clears throat> be Dixon. and he's so great. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and because that would, if if he had attempted an impersonation, it would have been a parody. But he gets the, he gets the soul of the man, yes.
1: right? Yes. At, le-
0: at least in terms of what the movie needed to express about him. Um, yeah
1: his His performance is so encompassing in that movie, and you spend three plus hours with him uh almost four if you see the director's cut but <laughs> but you you spend all that time with him and, and at first, when you see him, or my impression was it's like, uh well, this is Anthony Hopkins playing Richard Nixon, but then when the movie's over and they show the real Richard Nixon, it's jarring because it's like that's not Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> the one I just spent three yeah. hours with is is Richard Nixon. <laughs> so it's uh, it's amazing how you get you get like you said you you you're really uh, in his skin with uh, that performance. I think and to the point and where it's, you, where it's you
0: very think, yeah, it's very empathetic to him, but not not in a way that excuses what he did. Uh, but it, I mean it it it, it finds the personal human tragedy in his downfall. And that
1: yeah.
0: he, like I said earlier with Hervey, I mean, a different scope, obviously, between Hervey and Nixon, but they were both responsible for their own downfall. Whatever their in- insecurities were, mm-hmm. their their awkwardness, their, you know, that th- those personal flaws really played out
1: big time. Yeah. And I am, uh, uh, I'm really... Really glad that movie got made, though, Nixon, because, uh, you know, I know it didn't do well when it came out, and, you know, it's just kind of it, – it was a big failure, and I – but I'm just so glad it exists. I'm, I'm glad that he yeah. did it when he was I want to see it again, movie. but
0: it's never available anywhere. Uh, you know, it's not streaming. It's never on TV. No,
1: you're right. You're right. Yeah, they uh, – luckily, at the dawn of the Blu-ray format, they – they actually put the director's cut out on Blu-ray which is like 3 hours and 40 minutes. And um Damn. it's really good too. The stuff they put back in the movie is good. Like there's there's uh, some some footage there with the um uh Richard Helms, the CIA director. There's a scene with him that's uh-huh. not in the original film that's it's uh Sam Waterston is playing him and he's uh, there's, he's got all these um flowers in his office, I think it is and he remarks how much he hates flowers. Richard Nixon does.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's great. Should have been in the movie. Yeah, I remember like, that I
0: scene. With,
1: yeah, he's like a Scene with to Sam Waterston. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's a scene. A scene with Sam Waterston, and there's a there's a shot. If I'm remembering it right, there's a shot where Sam Waterston like leans down to smell of the flowers and he looks up and he's got black eyes.
1: Yes, that's right. Yes, absolutely. His eyes are completely blacked out. Yeah, it's so unnerving. Yeah. That's mm. it's terrific. It's terrific. And uh yeah they restored that for the Blu ray, which is it's really, really good. Yeah. I so, always knew
0: the Sam Watterson was evil.
1: But uh <laughs> and
0: isn't that a Disney movie?
1: It is uh, that's further proof you just brought up a good point. We're always talking about how Disney now is not Disney from 20 years ago. Can you imagine them doing a, an Oliver Stone biopic of Nixon today? No, I don't think so. it's just crazy. It's
0: crazy to think that Oliver Stone ever made a movie for Disney.
1: I know. I know. Wow. And frankly, I'm surprised that they actually put it out on Blu-ray. I don't think they would put it out on Blu-ray today. I'm glad it was released ten years ago because it it wouldn't be issued today. I think they they're trying to for, to oh. forget about that. So, oh God! Uh, and
0: Joan Allen, oh,
1: oh, absolutely, it's
0: just spectacular in the movie.
1: Yeah, oh. yeah, and and the scene where she's telling him uh, where he's he he wants to to run again in '68, and and after he's told her he's going to quit and all that, that's just uh, it's good stuff. Yep.
0: Uh, Yeah. Hopkins gets his awkwardness right. I mean, it
1: sure does. (laughs) God. Yeah. I can't
0: imagine living in that man's shoes for six months of filming. Uh, I mean, Hopkins claims he doesn't take anything home with him, but oh, God, that would be tough.
1: Oh, because you just have to be
0: so awkward Mm -hmm. all the time. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 the great casting of the character actors in that movie too, like J.T. Walsh right before he died. I mean, he died like two years after it came yeah. out or something.
0: Yeah. And he Doesn't Ed Harris and, play Liddy?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And um, then you've got uh, oh, you got Powers Booth again. Is, is there Madeline Kahn? Remember that playing Martha Mitchell? Oh wow, yeah. Terrific, right. terrific, just ah. Uh, great casting and uh eg marshall he, he How used about to, that
0: he used to always like yeah eg marshall he used to always like using old classic hollywood people yeah um you know whether it be charlton heston in any given sunday or math allen lemon and jfk and
1: yeah like, he really yeah.
0: liked to pull from the classic hollywood stock while they were still living he wanted to have them in his in his ensembles which is great yeah
1: Ed Asner, too, in JFK. That's another yeah. great one. That, where he, the pistol whipping sure. scene is fantastic. <laughs> you didn't see a goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I uh,
0: There's a story that James Woods tells, and um, it's a scene where uh, he's in the room of the Oval Office with Nixon, and um, Nixon's talking about his ascent to the presidency and how he how he uh, won it over the two dead bodies of the two Kennedys and and um, James Woods is in the scene with him and mm-hmm. he was just so lost in Anthony Hopkins' performance that he he forgot to say his line and oh, so Hopkins wow. kind of like Hopkins kind of turned around at him oh. to say okay what's going on and uh, James Woods is like. I'm sorry. You're you're the greatest actor I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, you a know, while they were shooting, and it's it's a beautiful little story. But...
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Yeah, I can imagine how intense that production must have been. And uh, I think I read somewhere too that they ran out of money or something, and Oliver Stone had to take out a second mortgage on his house to finish it up or something. Like he was that. Mm. He, 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 yeah, they they were having the, there was trouble with the completion bonds or something, and they yeah. So there's the whole thing with 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 that. So uh, Oliver Stone yeah. used to
0: have that fire, that fire that that uh, uh, defined uh, Coppola's best work in the '70s. I mean, yeah. destroying himself <laughs> to make these masterworks. Yeah, um, and you know more than anything else, I think it was just the just exhaustion, like. He 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 was tired of fighting the fight just to get the financing for it. And then you yeah. have to fight the fight uh against all the criticism uh of it. Uh you yeah. never stopped fighting. And at a certain point when you're in your fifties or whenever he stopped being irrelevant, uh you know, am I gonna die like this? Yeah. So I, I'm 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 sympathetic to it. I am. I'm, I miss the Oliver Stone, but if he's happy in his own life, happier than he yeah. was when he was so obsessed, then good for him. Uh, yeah, he doesn't owe me anything. He's given me some great films that I'll that will live on. But yeah. you know, he wanted to do Pinkville. He wanted to do the Martin Luther King story. Uh, all of those just fell apart. Um, so yeah. I, I think eventually he was like, "Okay, I'm going to treat this like a job now." And uh, you want the sequel to Wall Street because it made money for you? Fine, uh, I'll do it.
1: Yeah, wasn't there a Noriega movie he was going to do with Pacino too? I believe with the Noriega Yeah, yeah. I thought no, they, was.
0: they they had they had the find. My understanding is is that they had the financing. It's just that they all uh, they had all worked on it so long, and Pacino was going to play Noriega. And they all sat around a table because Pacino always requires, usually requires a table reading before he agrees to do a movie. And uh, they read it, and Pacino's like, it still doesn't work. Like, we haven't made it work. And Oliver Stone agreed, and so they just backed out. Hmm. They couldn't get it to work. I, thinking,
1: yeah. I don't know why I had that story that they ran out of financing or whatever, but but yeah, that, that's, that's very plausible. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, you
0: know, Pacino did, uh, Gary Marshall wanted Pacino for A Pretty Woman. And uh, Pacino was, because he was desperate to work with Pacino. Mm-hmm. And so Pacino was like, okay, well, let's do a table reading of it. And so, and that's when Julia Roberts first came in and read for it with Pacino. They all did a table reading of it. And they finished it, and Pacino said, look, this movie is not for me, but you really need to keep. That girl, like she needs to be in this, meaning Julia Roberts. Yeah. And then uh, eventually, um, eventually Gary Marshall got him for Frankie and Johnny. Finally. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> love that movie, of course. Yeah. I love it too. Mm. He's an
0: underrated director. I mean, because I mean, you can look at some films you say, "God, what a bad film," and but that doesn't mean he's not a really good director he just had bad choice of material or bad luck or what, what have you, or it didn't hit right. But in terms of directing, he was so uh, congenial and um, inclusive, like in terms of running a set, nobody loved uh, a Gary Marshall set more than actors. Um, And the way he treated actors, like he would, he would ask what are your hobbies? What are you good at? And he would incorporate all of that stuff in the movie. Like, Rasha Pfeiffer was like, I'm not good at anything. And and uh, he said, well, there has to be something. And she was like, yeah, okay, I can open pickle jars when other people can't, or I'm good at opening jars. And so she <laughs> he wrote it a seat of her opening a jar. And then uh, Pacino's like, uh, in my spare time, I like to play handball. And he said, okay, we'll put handball in there. Uh, like every movie, he makes yeah. it personal to the actors.
1: So good, so good. Yeah, yeah. He's he like you said, he made it look effortless what he did, and um, yeah. I I remember when I saw Frankie and Johnny in a theater. I that was at a time in my life when when movies were I, I, they were. Becoming more than just entertainment for me, and that was one of the first movies that yeah. really touched me in a profound way i just uh that movie's always going to have a um uh, a special place in my heart because it was it was one of the first like i said um movies that just um made me realize how things like that can examine the problems that people have and interpersonal relationships and difficulties and such and I don't know it's uh took took me to a deeper level even in um you know yeah. so even though I was a movie fan before that, so
0: it's beautifully done, and you really feel the love story with Pacino's eyes, you mm-hmm. really feel like he adores her in that movie
1: um, yeah
0: and uh and with Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean it's a great performance of of loneliness, and it's never not funny. Like the all the humor in it hits and it's still poignant. <laughs>